0: Alright, well good. Well, let's look at many references. You see in your notes there, if you have a worship guide, we have a lot of different references to friendship. And they're all over the Bible. We have this instruction about how to be a friend. Okay, And uh, we'll look at a definition of friendship from a couple of those. And then we'll look at the different uh, kind of principles or lessons about how to be a good friend. And then the the perfect friendship as an example for us. Okay, so first of all, I'd like to take a few moments with this idea of definition. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book Four Loves gives some uh, thought to four aspects of love. Four aspects of love. And the first one that he deals with is eros, uh, the erotic and Kind of sensual love, this attraction. We dealt with that a few weeks ago as we looked at "Song of Solomon together. And then there's the love of family. the love of family is the second one. And this third one, he develops the idea of friendship, uh, friendship. And I thought it was instructive as he talks about it. He says, "This is this third one, the idea of friendship, is the least natural, the least natural. Interesting. And I would say perhaps the most broken. Uh, he highlights the need for this because it's, it's unnatural. And he says perhaps the one least enjoyed. Let me just read a little bit from this and I would encourage you to, to, to get this, a good little book. Few value it because few experience it. Friendship is in a sense not all derogatory to it. The least natural of loves. The least instinctive, organic, biological, gregarious, and necessary. It has least commerce with our nerves. There is nothing throaty about it. Nothing that quickens the pulse or turns you red and pale. Without Eros, none of us would have been begotten. Without affection, that second one, none of us would have been reared, but in one sense we can live and breed without friendship. He's talking about humanity, and so it maybe falls along the side of the road. And I do believe the gospel speaks to friendship in a powerful way, and it fixes it in our lives. It's the same with everything. The gospel fixes everything. And so the big idea that I want us to take home today is this same idea that we look about with everything, is that the gospel fixes friendship. The gospel fixes friendship. Right? We saw, as we looked at Song of Solomon, the gospel fixes sex. We've seen that the gospel fixes city. And today we'll look at the gospel fixes friendship. Right? Everything is fixed through the gospel. It's all the gospel. And so it's not just that we get beyond the gospel as we get deeper. We never get beyond the gospel. We only get into deeper elements of the gospel. It's another layer of the onion, but it's still the onion. In this case, it fixes friendship. So let's look at how this happens. Uh, friendship could be defined. I'm going to look at the Greek word and the Hebrew word, and we won't get into all the pronunciation all that. But, but you, pro- Actually, you probably do know the Greek one. Who would who would venture a guess at the, the Greek verb for this? We talked about it recently. I'm listening. Good, I heard it. Phileo, the idea of you have know, this agape, phileo, storge. We talk about the different Greek forms for love, and there are actually several others. But but there's several, and, and the one that we think about with friendship is is this idea of, of phileo. Uh, the actually the word, the noun word for that. Greek verb of love is the word, the noun is friend. And so it's often, that's the, the way the New Testament handles the idea of friend. Now, this is not a lesser love, right? This is used in John 5.20 for the Father's love for the Son. God the Father loves God the Son in that way. It's used of Jesus' love for his friend Lazarus, right? So Jesus, perfect. Son of God, Son of Man, loved in this way. And so we need to learn to love that way as well. I found it really helpful to consider the Hebrew understanding of the word. It's, it's. Uh, I am not, I don't, I don't know well how to pronounce these things. Rayang is, is what I'm going to butcher it. As saying. It's, it's, uh, it's the term that has to do with, with being in close association. So there's two big ideas uh, as far as the kind of the two main forms of that word. One would be a close associate, but the one that's most often used could be neighbor or friend. It's the same word, and according to the context, it's translated either neighbor or friend. So you're reading the Proverbs, and there's all these Proverbs about neighbors, and there's all these Proverbs about friends. It's actually the same Hebrew word, but that really helps us understand the meaning of friend, right? It's someone that's close to you, a neighbor, an associate, someone that is close to you is a neighbor. So you're a neighbor to all these folks in the people near by you, but we have that in city by the way we live. We're close to our neighbors, we're close to people living side by side. But friendship is choosing that. If I'm a friend, I am going to choose to be near you. I'm going to choose to be with you. It's choosing actually in that sense to be vulnerable. To open up so that you know me and I know you. That's the idea of Bible, at least the Old Testament, of, of friend. I, I'm going to be transparent with you. I'm going to be close to you and I'm going to ask you to be close to me. That is friendship. Friendship is choosing to be here with someone. I, I'm going to choose to be with you and you be with me. It's not I'm looking down on you it's not I'm groveling up to you. We're here together, and we're going to encourage each other. It's choosing to be with someone. All right, so choosing to be close to someone is the way we'll define it. Friendship lessons. We're going to try to go quickly through these, okay? Look at friendship lessons now. I'll just say this brief as a parenthesis. Okay. For, for, for those of you who love to study um, Bible exposition and preaching, our church loves going verse by verse through, through the Bible. It's important for us. So we're doing Romans, kind of one verse at a time, as an essential part of Bible exposition for feeding a healthy church. Well, when you look at a topic, right, that, that the way of preaching is, is that the topic for the day is that next verse. And that's the topic. When you look like at a topic like friendship, what we have to do is actually look at the whole Bible. And it's actually more difficult than honing in on one verse. It's very difficult to take a week and look at what all the Bible says about friendship. But if we look at topics any differently, we'll fall short of understanding the whole counsel of God on that topic. So if you were to teach this week with your friends about the topic of atonement, or the topic of friendship, or the topic of love, and you didn't take the time to look at all the references, you would not be teaching what the Bible says about friendship. So that's what we're trying to do today. Develop good friendship qualities, first of all. All Here's our first lesson. Develop good friendship qualities, the things that we should develop, the things that we should bring in, and then we'll see the things to flee from. So flee from these friendship killers. Flee from these friendship killers, and then we'll see the things that we want to adopt are things that actually promote friendship, and they're similar. Uh, They correspond to one another, contrast one another. So flee from these things. The first one is that gossip kills friendship. Gossip kills close friendships. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who conceals a transgression seeks love, friendship. But he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. There's this repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. I'm not going to hide it and conceal it. I'm going to make it open and let it spread. Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse man spreads strife. A slanderer separates intimate friends. As you spread slander and and negative speech about others, you're actually hurting friends. You're harming friendship. Did you hear that? Did you hear what someone did? Did you hear what that person did? That's harming friendships. As we spread those things, we're harding, we're repeating a matter. Sharing stories that are either not true or just need to be hidden. You're not sharing that with that person to help them. And so that would be hurting friendships. There's another way, though, I think that first one, how it's used, is repeating an offense. The idea of, this was done to me 25 years ago, but you better believe I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to bring that up to that friend every year on the anniversary of the time that they didn't let me sit in my space. No, that's not friendship. Friendship passes over that. It doesn't continue to bring it up. It doesn't repeat, 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 repeat that offense. It forgives. But I think the third way this, this repeating a matter comes up is not repeating someone else's secrets. As we share friendships with one another, as we come close to one another, as we become vulnerable and transparent and open with each other, we, may sh- we should share things that we're struggling with. We should share things that are kind of difficult in our lives. And as a friend, you, you keep that to yourself. You don't open that up to everyone else, or it destroys that friendship. And no doubt you have been hurt yourself by some of these things. And so that would be unfaithful, and that's our second one here. Right? Unfaithfulness kills friendships. We see this in in many different different lives. I, I think Jesus himself, as Judas, one of his twelve intimate followers, um, the last day of his life, Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, and that has actually uh, at its root the same word of friend, the the display of friendship through this kiss, is how he pretends, and so Judas. My friend, Jesus, as he stabs him in the back. Right? That will kill a friendship. Like the, dadder, the dagger to Julius Caesar from Brutus. This happens in our lives. This happened to David. And this is the story here as Absalom rejects his father. And, and he saw that because David had rejected him for many years. But his close counselor and friend joined Absalom. And Turned his back. Ahithophel came with him, turned his back on David. And so you see in other Psalms, this would be Psalm chapter 41, verses 8 through 10, David is has a hard time getting over that. He says, A wicked thing is poured out upon him that when he lies down, he will not rise again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. It says the same thing in Psalm 55. David felt that. Betrayal. And maybe maybe this is bringing up a difficult right, part of your past, right? Well, you don't ever get over that. You still feel that dagger. At Tu brute, right? Why did you my, my my own friend? Why why did you stab me in the back? And so David is the, the shadow, of which Jesus is the substance. Facing this from Judas himself. And that will kill a friendship. Inappropriateness kills friendship. Alright, this uh, this is Psalm, the Proverbs 27, 14. Have you, do you have a friend like this? He who blesses his friend with a loud voice early in the morning, it will be what? Oh, he woke me up. What a blessing. That's a curse, man. If you have a friend like that, that's a curse. We don't want to be a friend that's a curse. Right? Be careful to be appropriate with your friendships. Be considerate. How can I treat this person the way they want to be treated? The way I want to be treated. That's the part of friendship we need to learn. Kindness. I love how Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Right, so he's, he's welcoming us into his close embrace, his close yoke fellow. And he says, come to me for I am... My yoke is what? Easy. It's the word kind. Jesus was easy to be yoked to. Let us be easy to be yoked to in our kindship, kindness to one another in our friendships. Inappropriateness, inconsiderateness all kill the idea of kindness, not walking on eggshells around. If that's the case, then you're not a good friend. We we show deference to one another in our kindness. And we'll see that the opposite of these are all true in developing good friendship qualities. All right, we want to foster friendship helpers. So what are ways that we can help our friendship with one another? Well, generosity. Look at that proverb. And you know this is the case. For Proverbs 19 verse 6, many will seek the favor of a generous man. Everyone's a friend to that person. Right? You give free gifts, you're gonna have friends. That's just a principle. Why? Because we're selfish. Like, you, you get really close to that, dude. They're gonna, they're gonna help you. And so everybody wants to be that person's friend. Well, it's the the opposite is the case, right? Stingy, stinginess does not breed friendship. Gracious generosity is the way to be a friend. A miser is no friend. Right? Just ask little tiny Tim, right? uh, as, as uh, Scrooge uh, took advantage of that family. And so the opposite of generosity is a miser. But generosity breeds friendship. Someone said prosperity begets friends. That's true. And then adversity proves them. And we'll see that in our third point. Okay, secondly, graciousness. He who loves purity of a heart and who his speech is gracious, the king is his friend. This idea of kindness and generosity to others spells out in the graciousness of speech, lifting others up, purity of speech, graciousness of speech toward others. That will will bring even friends of stature and influence. The third one's very important. I think one of the most important principles, faithfulness. And so you see these Proverbs repeatedly. Proverbs 17, 17, there, what does it say? A faithful friend, right? A friend loves at all times. Right? A brother is born for adversity, right? So it's that times that's difficult. Prosperity begets friends, adversity proves them. And so you're faithful to that person. And then Proverbs 27, verse 10, same thing. Do not forsake your own friend. And listen to this nor your father's friend. Now that's faithful. I'm not just friends to my own friends for life. You know, the friends that my family had, I'm going to stay friends with. Do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better a neighbor who is near than a far, brother far away. And, and that's that idea of neighbor. Same idea of friend-neighbor. A friend loves at all times. Faithful in good times and bad. Maybe you're going through a difficult time and you're finding right now, wow, that, those are my real friends. Look around me. And I found they were just around me because I was helping them. And now that things are difficult, they're no longer beside me. Well, faithfulness sticks to that friend. And may the Lord find us faithful in our friendships to one another. I think think dogs are the best example of this. Uh, Sad to say. This is a good one. This is John Gray's little dog named Bobby. Um, He's... uh, he actually has a statue named after him in Scotland. Became well known because this is a uh, John was a, a, a night watchman, and uh, so for eight years everybody sees him going through the neighborhood with his little dog, little dog, and this little terrier was always at his at his feet. Um, he got tuberculosis and died. was was buried in Greyfriars Church Cemetery. And that little dog attended the funeral. Uh, He stayed that night at the grave. The next day, the gardener took him out of the graveyard only to find the terrier back the next day. Took him out again. Back the next day. Back the next day. Back the next day. He eventually gave up on kicking this little dog out, made him a little shelter, and he stayed there. He stayed beside the grave For 14 years, he would only leave once a day to get food from the local tavern at 1 p.m. That is a faithful little dog. Lord, help us to have a little bit of that faithfulness for one another. The difficult times really test our friendship. Faithfulness is an essential component to every friend. A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for diversity. We need to be brothers and sisters to one another. This last, uh, let's see, in January, I... Went to a pastor's fellowship in Florida, and the whole, the whole topic with these pastors sharing them going through real stressful trauma in life, losing a spouse or a child. And they just opened up and talked about what, the, one of them, it was just six months before that. Just very difficult, very raw, but they're just opening up, how do we deal with people who have gone through calamity and trial, difficulty? And it was interesting just trying to learn, and we're just trying to learn from these folks how to help others who are going through trials of a similar state. And what was interesting was that all of them said, listen. All of them said, listen. If you have a friend going through a great trial, let's be there and listen. But I thought what, what another interesting thing is that beyond that, none of them agreed on how to treat them. Like this person, something that was, this person appreciated going through a very difficult time as a friend. The other person would say they would want to knock off your friendship if you did that. And so it was like, well, what do we do? How can we help people who are going through trauma? Be there. Yes. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way in The Great Divorce after he lost his spouse. He said, this numbing feeling of being alone, let me be with you but alone. It was just an interesting, not wanting to be alone, but still wanting to be with people. So you're there like Job's friends. You're there at least their first seven days. You're listening. But then perhaps we just ask because everybody's different. How can I be a friend to someone in a difficult time, in a calamity? You don't want to leave them. You don't want to just feel like this is awkward. I don't know what to do, so I'm not going to do anything. And so what we do is we just ask. Right? How can I be a friend to you through this? I'm committed to you through this ordeal, through this calamity. I'm your friend through this whole thing. But, but all of us are different, so we just ask. How can I help you? How can I be a friend to you through this trauma? Good, good practical thought. Question helping someone through a difficult time. So friends are faithful, even in that difficult, traumatic time of life. In fact, that's what tests friendship. Then truthfulness. Truthfulness. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Oh, Judas came to Jesus and kissed him. Yeah, that's easy. But, but what about being able to tell someone the difficult thing? Oil and perfume make the heart glad. Proverbs 27.9, so does a man's counsel his friend. We don't overlook someone's faults in order for them to keep liking us. A true friend will, will be able to tell that person, oh, that looks a little odd. Right? Or, hey, and if you're going for odd, that's okay, I'm still your friend. But just so you know, that sounds a little odd, that looks a little odd. I love that, was it the Geico commercial where Abe Lincoln's wife asked about her, her dress? Right? And uh, it's like, should he be honest? How honest should he be? All right, this could be difficult in friendships. But we do need to be forthright and help our friends. I think especially as far as sin goes. If we love someone, we won't let our friend continue down the pathway to destruction. Oh, my friend, I think the way you're headed there is harmful to you. Now listen, I'm going to be your friend no matter what. I'm going to continue to be your friend and try to help you, but I think this will be harmful to you. This came up in an interesting passage. Boy, we're just running out of time. But if you take notes, look at uh, Acts 19, verses 30 to 32. Again, as you look at all the references to friendship in the Bible, this is what came up. It was when Paul wanted to confront 20,000 people because they were against the gospel message in Ephesus. In Ephesus, Paul's preaching for years had turned the tide so much that idolatry was being forsaken And and so they stirred up the whole city to gather in a mob and say, Great is greatest great is tens of thousands of people screaming that. And what is Paul's response? i got to preach the gospel to all those people. Well, his friends are like, Paul, they're going to kill you. When Paul wanted to go into the assembly, the disciples would not let him. That's interesting. Also, some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his sent to him and repeatedly urged him not to go into the theater. Paul, don't do it. This is going to hurt you. And so, like, your friend may be all gung-ho about this, and you may be the only person that can help him say, okay, listen, maybe you're just not thinking about this, and just show me your side of this, and and I'm willing to talk, right? But we got to be helpful to our friends in that way. Okay, depth, depth. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer to the brother. This is interesting in our society, right? Just the idea of Facebook. Uh, at this point in life, because of social media, you can have friends from four years old. Right? I don't know that we were designed that way, to where if you move, like you've got to keep all those friends and all those emotional, and then all the trauma that they're going through like, for your whole life, and you're bearing the weight of all of that. That could be too difficult. It could be impossible. It's a lot of people just unplug from all of it. That may be healthy, I don't know, depending on who you are. But the idea is not a thousand or a hundred thousand friends this deep. The idea is I need three or four, one or two solid friends that really know me. And I really, I want my friendship to be deep with this person for the rest of my life. And that's what we're after, this deep friend. Because actually, if I have, I can't give all of myself to all of those folks. I would love to, but I just can't. Someone said, a friend is like a good book. You don't need to read all of them. Just pick the best ones. And that's different for everybody. But this is the best book for me today. And so you are the best friend for this person. And they are the best friend for you. It's a beautiful thing. All right, let's move quickly on to the power of friendship. Understand the power of friendship, the power of good and bad influence. We won't read this, but this first is the bad influence. You look at 2 Samuel 13, 1-5. Absalom, David had a beautiful sister. His name was Tamar. Amnon loved her, and he shouldn't go into her. And he's like, I can't do this, I can't do this. He loved her by lust. He lusted after her. And he had this friend who talked him into raping her. He would not do it on his own. But because he had an evil friend, goaded him on. Goaded him on, and he did would not he would not do in his own right. Esther five verse fourteen, you find Haman talking to his friends, and and he's like, What should I what should I do? His friends said, Okay, make a huge stake to impale Haman on. Right? So I mean Mordecai on. It was Haman's friends that pushed him beyond what he thought. And I think this is what happens in the negative sense with groupthink. With friends, you just, you're just there with your four or five, and they're going to push you beyond what you would naturally do in an evil way. Billy says, I can push this 10 feet. Well, Billy's friend thinks that. He says, you know what, Billy? I think you could do it 15 feet. And then another friend says, I think you could do 25 feet. And all of a sudden, this guy who thought he could only push something 10 feet, he thinks, yeah, I could do it 25 feet. And as you grow in this groupthink, you may push the moral boundary beyond where it should be. That's the power of groupthink. And this is our brokenness. We take friendships and we break them to something that is negative. But there's also power for good. There's also power for good. We find this with David and Jonathan. We find a beautiful picture there. We also find this, as I looked at, just hadn't come across this before, but Daniel, in chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, Daniel went to his house and formed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, so that they might... Request compassion for the Lord. There's this group prayer as we encourage each other in praying together. That's so important. And so we find the disciples praying for one another, the disciples meeting for each other. This is what the church is the church is encouraging each other for good. And so friendship is powerful for good and for evil. We need to be careful about that. Being careful, of the friendships we forge. C.S. Lewis, again, brings this out well. He says, It could be argued that friendships are the practical value of the community. Every civilized religion began in a small group of friends. Mathematics effectively began when a few Greek friends got together to talk about numbers and lines and angles. Royal society was originally a few gentlemen meeting in their spare time to discuss things which they, parenthesis and not many others, had a fancy for. The Romantic Movement... Two people were just talking about it. It goes on, communism, Tractarianism, Methodism, the movement against slavery, Reformation, the Renaissance, might perhaps be said without much exaggeration to have begun the same way. Then he says this, there is something in this. Nearly every reader would probably think some of these movements good for society and some bad. The whole list, if accepted, would tend to show, at best, that friendship is both positive positive benefactor and a positive danger to community and that's the case there's power here like you just think of the 12 disciples jesus became close friends with those 12 changed the world but so much has happened the opposite way because the power of friendship and so this is what churches are helpful for lord help me to find solid friends who will encourage me to love christ and to grow in christ I'm just going to mention this one, the power of comfort or burden. We see Job's three friends at the beginning. Oh, man. Horrible friends. Seven days they were quiet. That's awesome, right? Do we even do that to our friend in adversity? We're just be quiet and listen and sit for seven days? Good. But then they go and lamb blast him and condemn him. God, God asks Job to pray for them so he doesn't harm them because of their bad take in blaming Job. And so the, the, the power of the comfort and burden of friendship. Third, I'm just going to again read these. There's Extend your friendship possibilities because I want to take a few minutes with our last one. Be friendly to more just your friends. Jesus shares this and Jesus does this. Well, How is he friend all these, these sinners, notorious sinners? Because he's sharing the gospel with them and they need him. But this Jesus says, hey, make friends with those who are prominent. Right? To have influence with them. Jesus tells us to do that. Make influential friends. Okay. Now our last one. The friendship's perfection. Turn to John 15 there. Let's just take a moment with walking through this text. The greatest friendship principle, we find the perfection of friendship in Christ. Look at the command in verse 12. This command. This is my commandment, that you love one another in the way I loved you. Jesus is our greatest friend. And he asks us to love him in the same manner and that we love one another in the same manner. This is how friendship is exemplified. This is true friendship. I would say this. This is how brokenness of friendship is fixed through the gospel. Because I can't be Jesus. But that's what he's telling me to be. The only way for me to be a good friend, a biblical friend, is to be like Jesus. I'm going to fall on my face every time I try that in my flesh. And so I need the Holy Spirit to live Christ's life through me. So this is the secret of friendship. It's dying to Tim, dying to self. The Gospel, I die to myself. It is being buried with Christ but it's also being raised with Christ. That's the Gospel. The Gospel is this new life of Jesus. He has risen from the grave and He has imparted His life through me, through living in me, so that I can exemplify the life of a true friend. I can be faithful because Jesus is faithful. And so let's look at His friendship principles here. As He goes on, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. This is the Savior's, Example of sacrifice. How could I ever do that? Only by Jesus living through me. That I can actually say, Tim, you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for Christ in living for others. So this is a life of friendship by Christ living through me. But we acknowledge here that beautiful, I mean, uh, greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And the most beautiful words, perhaps ever spoken the English language or the next ones what does he say you are my friends isn't that awesome and this is what I want everybody to leave today with Jesus says you are my friends I have chosen you you are my friends you need the closest friend for eternity you only need one really it's Christ he says listen I'm your friend And he's demonstrated by laying down his life for us. So the cross is the picture of true friendship. Jesus, we are in lost and dying in sin. No help in ourselves. We could not be religious enough. Our righteousness would have to exceed that of the Orthodox Jewish person, the Pharisee. Nobody can do that. And so he says, I give that to you and I die in your place. What an example of friendship. And so Jesus brings us into His friendship through sacrifice. Our friend Jesus on the cross, taking on Him all our sin and loss, dying at the Roman electric chair, that His glory I might share. Jesus, Son of God and man, lifted, brought low that I might stand, for eternal days without end, brought to His Father as His friend. And He does that. He welcomes us into His Father's house, no longer as slaves, and so the Savior's Friendship and self-disclosure. As we mirror his friendship, we live for one another, we die to self, but we also share with one another. No longer do I call you slaves. A slave does not know what his master is doing. I've called you friends. And so Jesus discloses himself to us, his plans, his desires. He speaks to us his word through his spirit. Daily, I listen to Jesus through his word every day. Speak to him. You have to. This is the glory of the gospel that Jesus would deign to continue to be our friend, continue to speak to us. Like John the Baptist, I would have to say, I'm not worthy to stoop down and tie his shoe. I'm not, willing to, not worthy to be his slave. But he lets me be his slave. But beyond that, he says, I don't want you to just be my slave. I want you to be my friend. He welcomes us into that close companionship through the gospel. The Savior's friendship in selection. You did not choose Me, but I chose you. And so Jesus says, come to Me. He appeals to you today. Believe in Him. Look to the Lamb and be, believe. He commands us to receive. As many as received Him, to them He gave the power to become sons of God. Even to those who believe on His name. And so He offers this eternal friendship. Faithful, eternal. Gracious, kind, tactful. He's not going to scream at you early in the morning. He's going to be delightful, though. He's going to delight your soul with marrow and fatness, as with marrow and fatness, as you find in Christ your all in all. And then lastly, the Savior's friendship and supplication. Um, he's going to listen to us, and He's going to bring us to the Father. And He's going to say, listen, as you pray, all that you pray will be answered by fruit. That's the fruitfulness of friendship with Jesus is that we can bring our supplications to Him and He hears us and He is the one who is able to provide. What a generous friend. What a generous friend we have. And so it's a very, 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 very gracious privilege in the Gospel. The greatest privilege of friendship that you have. In fact, it's like Moses. What an amazing thing Moses had because why? He talked to God as a friend. Exodus says, face to face. And what God wants to do in the Gospel is bring you into close communion every day with Him as a friend. He offers that to you today. And so let me encourage you today to come to Christ. Receive in Him a true friendship through forgiveness. But but beyond that, as you become a Christian, as you follow Christ, you actually become a better friend to others. And this is why I say the gospel fixes friendship. Because Christ starts living His life through you as you take Him on as your Savior. And then you become a better friend. And then friendship is fixed for you and for the person near you because you are both living the life of Christ. And so 3 John 15 is able to say, as we run low on our battery, John, 3 John 15. Uh, let me read it. Peace be to you. And then he says this. The friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. He's talking about the Christians. The Christians are we're brother and sister, but you know, we could also say friend. Friend Tim. That you can call me that. You need to call me brother Tim because you forgot my name or brother. You just say friend. We're all friends because we're following Christ. And he's fixed our friendship where we can actually do it. All right, give me two minutes. William Cooper had a rough life. Uh, He had several siblings die. When he was six, his mother died. His father sent him to boarding school where he was picked on. He mentions one bully. He said it will be sufficient to say that he had, by his savage treatment of me, impressed such a dread of his figure upon my mind that I well remember being afraid to lift my eyes upon him higher than his knees. I knew him by his shoe buckles kicking him, better than any part of his dress. May the Lord pardon him, and may we meet in glory. Ups and downs through college and post-college left him in a weak emotional state. He re- lost a relationship with a young lady he loved, endured the death of another close friend and his father, but was struggling to prepare for a job interview of sorts, a position that his aunt had secured for him that made him snap. He broke. Came to the lowest end of his life. He attempted to take his life several times. Following these attempts, he feared God's judgment. He felt that hell was too good a place for him. Hell might afford my miseries a shelter. His brother John found a home for him with a Christian doctor in a mentally ill ward. He began to make a recovery. But he still felt God's judgment, God's judgment, God's judgment. Then he, then he read the story of Lazarus. And he heard Jesus say that he was Lazarus' friend. And it totally changed his mind. This touched him. Jesus had compassion for Lazarus as a friend. And it opened his eyes. A few days later, he opened the Bible to Romans 3.25 and he sees being justified as a gift of His grace. And he believed it. Jesus is my friend and He came to gift me with salvation. Glorious gospel verse. He believed and He received strength slowly throughout the days and the years. He fostered a good friendship with another man named John Newton. Those two men would write so many gospel hymns together, beautiful hymns. Cooper did not... That's okay, guys. I think we're done with that. Cooper would never really recover completely. He would always suffer with bouts of depression and discouragement. In fact, John Newton would have to take him as a good friend into his home and let him sit on his couch, sleep on his couch to be with him. He wrote this in a poem to express himself. All my chains that once were broken from my feet my fetters fell and that word in pity spoken snatched me from the gates of hell. Another poem. I was stricken deer that left the herd long since with many an arrow deep and fixed my panting side was charged when I withdrew to seek a tranquil death in distant shades. There was I found by one who had himself been hurt by the archers. In his side he bore, and in his hands and feet the cruel scars. With gentle force soliciting the darts, he drew them forth and healed and bade me live. Since then, with few associates in remote and silent woods I wander, far from those my former partners of the people seen. With few associates and not wishing more. And so he and Cooper, would they bought houses back to back with a little field in between, and they'd pay the lady who owned the field uh, getting a year to walk through that, and they would meet in this little shack as good friends, because the gospel fixes friendships. And they would write poem after poem, hymn after hymn. Let me encourage you to come to Christ today. Find in Him your greatest friend. Heads bowed and eyes closed, would you, would you even now, perhaps, you don't know Christ as your friend? Let's all talk to him and say, Lord, help me to be a better friend with others. But if you don't know the Lord as, as a personal friend, you think of him as someone who's has this judgment bowl already to chop your head off. He has wrath and judgment and will judge. But he chose to come as our friend and take that judgment upon himself. He chose to be stabbed through for our sake. Let me encourage you to stay for lunch and listen to the story of three folks who found in Jesus their greatest friend. And let me encourage you even now in closing, right to receive Jesus as your friend, you just call upon him and say, Lord, save me. Make me your close friend. Um, and by God's grace, give, give me help to be a friend to others. If you'd like to pray with someone, I'll be staying in the back lobby be happy to pray with you. Let's take a moment, though, of quiet reflection and prayer.